And his career in private investigating has taken him all over the world. He's worked for the White House. He's done personal personal security for Kid Rock and Lil Wayne, all kinds of crazy fun stuff. And he has all kinds of cool stories that he likes to share. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the uh, Gabby Petito case, and I, that came to a bit of a tragic ending. Joe, it did, and uh, I thought he would probably stay running. I have to be honest with you, most of those guys normally do. But apparently he elected to uh, take his own life and um, sort of is, is what it is, Joe. It, it's sad all the way around. And so it happens. I mean, I guess on on his end, well, I guess it's sad that he will never come to justice, but good riddance. But anyways, we have uh, a few uh, fun stories from Steve today. Steve, what do you have for us? Oh, Joe, this week's great. We're going to do an arson show. We're going to delve into that. Some we've touched on in the past, but not really, really uh, done a deep dive on that. Joe, I know you're from Detroit. Oh, yeah. And you know all about Devil's Night. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Craziness. I remember when they changed the name to Devil's Night because it was Angel's Night. I remember when they put the curfew in place and everything. (laughs) Yeah, I have to tell you, I've been up there on a couple of these Devil's Nights, and it is scary. Not as bad as it used to be, but uh, anything and everything could be burned. If your listeners are familiar with it, and it really becomes a, a sport day for arsonists. Yeah, so for those who don't know what Devil's Night is, Devil's Night is the night before Halloween in Detroit. People would just go around and burn down the abandoned houses and, and just cause all kinds of mischief. It was actually a pretty dangerous night to be out. A lot, a lot of crime, a lot of uh, mischief would be happening on those nights. So um, a few years ago, I guess like 20 years ago at this point, something like that, they uh, placed a curfew out so where you could not be out after a certain time the night before Halloween, no one. Um, and they would do... Uh, neighborhood watch patrols and different things like that. Uh, so, Steve, what do you have for us on Devil's Night? Well, I just want to point out a couple of things to your listeners, some things that get confused. What we call Devil's Night is usually an act of arson, right? That's a random act of burning the building just because you want to. You may have a goal, but you, know, you don't do this on a daily basis. For your listeners, don't get that confused with something called pyromania. Mm-hmm. That's a compulsive disorder where you just light over and over and over almost every day because that's just what you want to do. It, uh, to meet a pyromaniac is extremely rare. I mean, extremely rare. A couple of big fire cases in the past, Joe, your listeners may or, not, may or may not be familiar with, one of the biggest arson cases that ended tragically, show you why arson is a horrible idea, was a happy land fire at New York City, this was a nightclub burning. A guy named Fernandez wanted to get back at an ex-girlfriend. She was in there dancing with some guys. He decides to light a small fire to scare her, Joe. Oh, As we know, small fires can become big fires. 87 people died there, Joe. 87. Jesus. So arson anywhere is a horrible idea in the crowd environment. is just uh, tremendously bad. Well, the other... Uh, arsonist, very famous in history, and I'm friendly with him, Joe. I'm not friends, but I am friendly. There's a gentleman named John Orr serving multiple life sentences. He was an old fire investigator out of California. His twist, my friend, was that he would light the fire and they'd be the first on the scene to do what? To solve oh, it, Joe. Sort of like that, that, uh, that white fire. knight complex thing going on? 
Yeah, he did, Joe, and he was out of this world. Talked to him multiple times, did a sort of a study on his uh, psyche, and uh, no matter where you go, Joe, no matter what questions you ask, well, they, they, they shouldn't have been there. Well, they didn't turn out the way it was planned. Whatever it is, Joe, it was never his fault. Unfortunately, a jury did not agree with him, and it was all his fault. Wow. He'll be in jail, I'm sure, to the day he dies. Jesus. One second, Steve. So for those unfamiliar with Mystery Friday with Steve Carmen, Steve Carmen is a private investigator based out of Indianapolis, and his career in private investigating has taken him all over the world. Now, every Friday, Steve calls and gives us three stories from his career, and he ends with a safety tip to keep us away from the, the nefarious characters of the world. Um, so, uh, Steve, that that was story... What Were those two stories there? Was that story number one? and two? Joe, those were a little prelim to what I'm just getting ready to tell you now, which will shock you. Let's get into it. Okay. This was a fire on Devil's Night, Joe, and I interviewed your hometown, and I had gone out there to assist an insurance company on a claim, do some investigation. As most of you know, Detroit's had some hard times, right? A lot of fires. Definitely. So houses in some areas can be hit and miss. You know, you can go a block to hit another house. Joe, I come up. I'm the luckiest man because what? The house fire occurred right next to another house where a man is living. Now I have a witness, Joe. I'm in the catbird seat. I'm going to solve this. And I'm looking pretty good, right? Except my witness isn't home on a Friday afternoon. No problem, Joe. I'll be back on Monday, right? I'm going to solve this. This will be one of my best cases ever. Joe, between Friday night and Monday morning at about 9.15, guess what happened to the suspect's house? It was burned. Wow. Completed to the ground in ashes. Scary thing is, Joe, this witness, they never could find him. I checked even a couple years ago, and Joe, they still couldn't find him. He had just disappeared. Wow. And you know, so it tells you that all... And those houses and those houses in Detroit are so old. When they do catch fire, they just burn completely. They just a, a total shell, oh, or they'll literally just burn right to the ground. Horribly quick, and people run from being witnesses. It could be dangerous to be a witness there. Oh, I mean, yes. really dangerous. Oh yes. So I this next one, I. Uh-huh. I remember um, on Devil's Night one year when I was a very small child. I was uh, riding around with my mother. And I witnessed a house fire that was so severe. The flames were so intense. I remember I could feel them from, from the car. And I could see the the fire catching on to the next house. So like, there were multiple houses oh, just wow. burning. Because all the houses in Detroit are really close together as well. So very intense night. Very intense. Devil's Night is nothing to play around with back in the city of Detroit. Shout out to Detroit. Joe, this next one is a famous case called the Richmond Hill case. Your listeners can look it up on the Internet. And essentially, it was a boyfriend and a girlfriend. The boyfriend gets a plan to burn down the house, right? It's a big two-story. Joe, it doesn't always look like in the movies where your house just burns. It just doesn't work like that. So they set this thing up for a ghastly, horrible idea, Joe, because they don't know the dimensions, how quickly it will explode gentleman named Mark Leonard, who's gone now, it's all in the news, and I tell secrets, decides to go ahead and let the gas leak and light this thing on fire. Oh. Makes a series of what I call strategic mistakes. Joe, by talking to people, asking them for advice, 
horrible idea if you're going to do a big crime. Mark Leonard then lights us on fire. What happens again, Joe? It blows up big and kills the neighbors next door. Jesus. Then you have the FBI, the ATF, everybody and their mothers out there. I mean, it's the biggest case in the Midwest has seen in decades, right? So Mark Leonard, they, they have some evidence on him. He goes to jail. I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm not involved in that case. That's weird, except for Joe. Who do I get contacted by? Mark Leonard himself. Why would he contact me, right? So keep in mind, he's in jail, Joe. Any fool would know that those calls are monitored, right? Any fool would know that. Apparently, he thinks he's too cool and too sharp. He calls me and then tries to tell me that he wants me in the case. He's been misunderstood, misjudged. It's all a big uh, just misunderstanding. And if I'll dig into that for him, Joe, and, and take his case, he'll be proven innocent. Wow. Well, the only problem with that, Joe, is, yeah, I've told your listeners, I always investigate the people that hire me to, right? I don't walk into anything easy, any trap without asking questions. I knew from an inside source that Mark Leonard had tried to hire a hitman to kill a witness in this case. Oh. So I knew, obviously, you don't have people killed if you're an innocent angel, right? Mark was trying something. I don't know, get me to lie. I have no idea. Because what happens in the interim, before he hires me, Joe, he dies of an illness. Oh. I still have all his letters at home, all his begging and pleading, all his storytelling, none of which the jury uh, ever bought. Because before he died, they convicted him, and he went away for... I don't know how many hundreds of years, which is why I shut out. So I want to ask, what happens when you set up a gas leak in a house? Because the houses in Detroit are fairly large as well on, on average. So you set up a gas leak in a house, it fills up with gas, you light a flame, and is it basically just a gigantic bomb? And that's what it becomes. And you have to know the dimensions and some math formulas to know just about how much to let out. So, the, so this explosion stay, stays contained within the house. Mark Leonard's big mistake, Joe, and your listeners will about fall over when I tell them, is he was trying to figure out mathematically how this worked. He goes out to a bar, sees two guys, says Citizens Gas, that's a local gas company. They work with their technicians. He approaches them. He doesn't know them. says, hey, fellas, can you help me figure out... <laughs> how much of a gas leak it would take for this house to burn and explode. Wow. Well, Joe, that's not a question that you would forget from somebody, and these fellows didn't either. So when this house exploded, they immediately went to the FBI. You know, they say criminals aren't the smartest people. Joe, they, they are not, and they always leave clues. The only question is, can you find the clue? In this case, this guy hands them everything on a silver platter. You know who always finds the, the, the clue? Steve Carmen, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Steve calls in. Now, so for those just joining us, Steve Carmen is a private investigator based out of Indianapolis, and his 30-plus years in private investigating has taken him all over the world. He's worked for the White House. He's done private security for your favorite celebrities. He's done all kinds of cool things. Now, Steve calls in every Friday with three stories from his career, and he ends with a safety tip. Now, Steve, I, got some, I have a few other guests, so, so we'll go right to the safety tip. What do you have for us this week? Joe, your safety tip is you have good listeners and good people in Alaska, but I can tell you every now and then people bring up the, the topic of 
Hey, wonder what my house would pay if it was burned. <laughs> Joe, I can tell you, someone that's in this business, the science today is so exact in fire, the burn patterns, the accelerant, the formulas, the probabilities, I have hardly ever seen anyone get away with burning their house and just walking away with, with nothing. And remember, the police and the insurance company are separate, but never be mistaken. They exchange information in the background. Joe, that's how cases are solved. Arson's a horrible thing, and stay away from it. Wow. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate your call every Friday. For those just joining us, Steve Carmen is a private investigator based out of Indianapolis. He calls every Friday to give us uh, to give us a few stories and a safety tip. And uh, this this week was don't try to burn down your house for the insurance money. You're not going to get away with it. (laughs) Steve, thank you so much. I look forward to our call next week. Thank you, Jeff. All right, Carmel, Keith, Patty, how do you guys feel about Steve Carmen? <laughs> how did you meet him? You know what? Steve's been calling into the station for a few years, actually, uh-huh. apparently. So uh, when I took over the first city forum, um, he got in contact with us and uh, he uh, offered his uh, his Friday segment. And I said, you know what? That sounds like a fun time. So he's been calling every Friday for almost a year. Oh, my gosh. I've been doing this almost a, a, almost a full year now. So I actually got a promotion this this morning. Um, so I yay yay for me. I am in charge of uh, of uh, creating programming for this uh, for this show now. So if you're interested in in joining us on the first city forum, if you have any kind of events to promote, if you have um, an opinion on something, and you'd like maybe even a weekly segment, I'll have an email address that I'll shout out to you guys on Monday. And uh, but right now we have some pretty cool things that are coming up in the in the next year. So May 22nd, foster care, foster love. Now I want to go around a little bit and introduce everyone in the room. We have three, uh, three fine characters in the studio this morning. We have Carmel Anderson. How are you, Carmel? I'm doing great. Thanks. Now, Carmel, for those who may not know who you are, uh, oh, how did, are, are you a Ketchikan local? Uh, when- no, we've been here about 14 years. My- 14 years. Where are you coming, where are you coming from? Well, we've been, lived a lot of places, but we grew up in Minnesota. And we came here, um, my husband was called to serve First Lutheran Church. Very nice, very nice. See, I find that people who come from the Midwest enjoy Ketchikan because the uh, the winters here are, are nothing compared to what we've uh, been accustomed to. Correct. Okay, so now, Carmel, what do you do here in town? I understand you are an artist. I am an artist. I'm an artist, and it's been a wonderful experience living in Ketchikan and getting the support. And about... Six years ago, I did a show on domestic violence, and I started a new art form of installation art and to bring awareness, community awareness, to difficult subjects. And I did a small child's piece for that show called Marked that had a target on the back, and it really reminded me of my foster care sister growing up. I had three foster care sisters, but one in particular I grew incredibly close to. It really felt like she was my sister. Wow. And I never forgot her. And that'll, and that'll go a little bit into what we're going to talk about in just a few moments with the mm-hmm. foster care, foster love. Now, Patty, Patty Green, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Good to see you, Patty. Now, uh, now for uh, those who may not know you, are you from Ketchikan? Born and raised. Born and raised. So I don't have to ask you what brings you here. Um, uh, so, Patty, what do you do here in the community? I'm a social worker, um, and I work currently for Ketchikan Indian Community, um, 
and my basic role is uh, family case manager. So I assist our families who are, um, the cho our children are taken into custody with the state. I assist them in reunifying successfully with their parents. And then my other role is prevention. So I work with our tribal families. If there's um, any of our families are having difficulties, um, or you know are at risk, then I try to step in and help keep them uh, provide them services that will help them stay together as a family. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for that, Patty. Now, Keith Smith is the patriarch of one of Hedgehog's most famous families, uh, Elizabeth Nelson and Philip Smith. How are you, Keith? <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Now, for those who don't know who you are, uh, now, are you from Ketchikan, Keith? No, I, uh, I came here 24 years ago. I ended up living here because I crashed a callback for First City Players and got cast as a lead as Nathan Detroit uh, and uh, ended up working and running the Arts Council and then uh, marrying the artistic director of First City Players. So the I kind of got hooked Elizabeth in Nelson. here through theater. But my family all lives in uh, Michigan now, not too far from Detroit, Ann Arbor. Very and, nice, uh, yeah. Michigan, so. When I first started singing professionally, um, my first voice teacher taught um, at the at the uh, Latter-day Saints Church in Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, I love Ann Arbor. Zingerman's is my spot. I, I'm I love Zingerman's. Yes, I'm we could go a long time for Zingerman's. Oh, yeah, I'm usually sure. home around this time of the of the year. Oh, today's actually my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. So I'm usually home around this time of the year for my father's birthday, and I'm really craving my uh, Zingerman's pecan pie right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're here to talk about uh, Foster Care, Foster Love, which is an art installation and, and a play coming uh, May 5th of 20th. 2022, which is ironically my mother's birthday. There's a lot of oh, May 6th, right? May 6th, that which is still my mother's birthday. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. It's sponsored by KIC. I want to talk a little bit about the origin of this installation and of this show. And we got a little bit into it, um, Carmel, uh, where we talked about your your foster sister and what that meant to you. Yes, um, this foster, this experience with the foster child just really um, made a mark on me. I was in middle school when she came to our home and I knew immediately what it meant when my mom said, Hey Carmel, you know, this is Debbie. She's gonna be staying with us. And I knew that meant she was staying in my room. <laughs> and then she asked me to give her a bath. And it was at that moment when I was bathing her, I was not excited at all. This little girl, I mean she just had a very dull expression. She mm. sat there motionless. Her clothes were too small and dirty. So I took her downstairs, and it was when I washed her and I saw her fingernails. That was the moment that my heart softened because I realized this wasn't a girl who just was out playing. This was a girl who was neglected. Mm. And she became an amazing part of our family. We adored her. She just lit up, you know. She We got her hair cut and cleaned up, and... She was so proud of her new clothes, and after a few months, we got her more new clothes because she really grew, and she just loved animals, and she just um, was an amazing little girl. Wow. Let's back up a little bit. Foster Care, Foster Love. What is Foster Care, Foster Love? Foster Care, Foster Love is a uh, show that's an art opening, and when I do my shows, it's really about, as I mentioned earlier, about issues that are hard to talk about, but very needed in communities. 
So I saw a silence around foster care. People didn't understand it fully, but knew that it was a problem, that people are always looking for homes. You know, the kids usually get bounced around, they're aged out, you know, but a lot of people, kind, good people, they just don't really understand the complexity of it. And so I wanted to bring respectful art to help do the topic. So I have a piece called Aged Out. I have a piece called Moving Day. And different pieces that there, and I try to make them um, not about a person, but about the theme. And so I did this for um, domestic violence. And a week before the opening, when I talked earlier to state leaders on domestic violence, I said, Carmel, this this is a wonderful topic, but it's overwhelming that Mm. people walk away without hope. Mm. And so I knew that word hope. And so a week before the opening, the person who's supposed to be helping quit for the organization she was working for. And I was just overwhelmed. You know, it's the first time I did this kind of opening. And I stood there with um, Diane Gubateo. Yes. And she said, give me the squares. So I had painted canvas at my house by chance. We cut them into squares. Some quilters cut them for me. And um, we started with nine squares of stories. That quilt has now grown. That show traveled the state and has grown to 38 feet by three and a half feet. Wow. And the importance of that piece, I had no idea how pivotal it was to my show. Because those were stories. Everybody knew those were stories of Alaskans. Their natives, their their the, you know their uh, community members is what I meant, and they read them and they sit, sat there and they were there just gave a huge perspective to it. There there was fathers grieving, watching, knowing what was going on with their daughters. There were children who watched what was happening to their parents. There were stories of um, changed lives, ones who escaped it. So there was a lot of positive stories of people reclaiming their strength and who they were, but there's also deep scars. And so it really, I felt that when people took the time to read that, they got a really deep insight on domestic violence. And that's what I wanted for foster care. Because one thing we know is no child wants to be displaced. Never. Never. So, you know, we all want stability and love. And one thing I've learned from my work is how deep childhood trauma is and how it affects one's life. It is really hard when you're learning to trust people. When I did a workshop on the domestic violence show, I was sitting there and the girls were from the juvenile jail and they were tough street girls and they came in and we we had a great conversation and I sat right in the middle of them and we had this talk about some of the terms they call themselves and what that meant and Mm -hmm. so when it came time to sharing and they saw my show first and they read the quilt so when we started sharing they just opened right up oh yes and these girls were tough and we got to a young girl about nine real tiny beautiful little girl and her mother asked if she could come and i trusted her mother and i said sure and she looked at me and she said because you don't know who the bad people are Wow. You could have heard a pin drop. These tough street girls, their toughness just melted. They had so much compassion for this little girl that they really understood what she was going through. Mm -hmm. And so when I looked at that little girl and her innocence of growing up in a world where she didn't know who she could trust, when I saw these tough girls going, wow, how did they get so tough? 
And then the innocence of my foster sister going, she was such a sweet little girl. And I'm wondering, did she grow up to be tough? Did she grow up in a world where she couldn't trust people? And so I think that's something that we need to understand with foster children is the trauma that happens to them. It's not easily fixed. You don't just plop them into a nice home and say, okay, now your problems are gone. Their abandonment and their fear and their broken promises often by adults and sometimes well-meaning, you know, it doesn't mean like all the adults want to hurt them. Sometimes they have to work within the system and the system doesn't always allow them to make the choices that they would like to make. You know, there's Patty's the expert on this. She can share more about it, but it's not, I think we all know the system doesn't quite work and this show isn't about, oh, how bad the people are. This is, our, our advocates are so overworked. Definitely. You know, underpaid, the turnover. We're always looking for foster parents. There's bio parents that maybe just needed help, that weren't given the help they needed at the right time. You know, so there, it's just a complex situation. So I want to highlight the positive and some of the challenges so that we as a caring community can maybe become more aware of how we can support people like Patty and Michelle who works with OCS, how we can support these children to help make a change. Because, you know, our future is our children. We all know that. Wow. So why we don't spend more time protecting our children before they're damaged is a question that I think we should all ask ourselves. Wow, Carmel, I am really looking forward to seeing that art installation for Foster Care, Foster Love. And I do understand that there's also a play that goes along with the, with the installation. I'll let uh, Keith talk a little bit about that. Uh, right. Well, uh, Carmel's vision uh, in, in this piece is to, is to give voice, voices that exist in the community. Uh, that's, foster care is a, a huge thing. Some of it is official, some of it is unofficial. Uh, they're broken and or breaking uh, families, fractured families that need support, need help. There are children uh, that need help it's it there are so many different parts of it and voices and so as as a writer and as a theater artist i am particularly interested in finding a way to use theater to to um, amplify to focus and amplify those voices in the themes so it's you know, as Carmel does so well of just creating these tremendously moving, evocative images or, or uh, ways to collectivize all the different voices in the quilt, I, wa I want to, I'm working to uh, reinforce that by approaching the, the same thing with, with theater and having it happen within a week from each other. So we're working together. It's Carmel's vision but of collecting stories within the community. Uh, uh, we're going to have a focus, uh, focus groups. We're going to have writing workshops. Uh, also, just calls to the community who have a little story to write or to tell us and get, um, get these voices and stories in as part of the entire art week and ultimately a community conversation about foster care. Wow, and where can those stories be submitted? Okay, um, that uh, you will see some things. We are going to end up, because you're going to run the 
Facebook page yes, for, KTKN. for KTKN. And so eventually these will also be posted. But for for right now, if you are interested in being involved in any, any way, if you have a story to tell, um, and it, you don't necessarily have to write something, we can talk. Um, uh, we can talk and I can write it down. Uh, but I'd love to have people involved. So the way to start is just with my phone number. Yes. Which is 907-617-0536. And I'm Keith. Keith Smith. Um, give me a call. Also, uh, you can email me. That's more comfortable. And uh, my email is boulder soup, like big rock soup. I like stone soup is what I wanted because I love that story about making soup with a rock, a stone. But that was taken, so I went big with boulder soup there we go. at gmail.com. Boulder soup at gmail.com. Please email Keith your stories. If you have been in foster care, if you know someone who's in foster care, if you are a foster parent yourself, please share your stories to be a part of this beautiful installation. I'm very excited about it. It sounds very deep, very emotional, and very powerful, something that this community does definitely needs because there are many uh, children who are experiencing foster care, many children who have been displaced, and uh, and this is a very powerful. Now, I want to talk, um, Patty, about your involvement with this project as well. Well, right now, um, like uh, Carmela says, I'm on the front lines, so I'm involved in working with the state with foster children as well as assisting the state in recruiting foster homes. So um, if you've seen the signs all over town, it says become a foster parent. Um, that is something that the state has just started, um, but, but have been reaching out for years. I've worked with KIC uh, 11 years prior to just coming back to the agency in July this year. Um, and, and I worked with Clinkett and Haida, but played the same role um, in, in the um, that I was trying to recruit foster parents, native foster parents. That's, that's the importance for the tribe of um, uh, recruiting the native foster parents due to the ICWA um, you know, laws. Uh, mm. We try to keep our Indian children in Indian families. Makes sense. And so, now, um, now is, that for, is that to preserve the culture and the, and the tradition? Very much so, very much so. Um, our children... Um, you know, often if they get uh, placed in a non-native home or if they are, uh, you know, in guardianship or adopted uh, in a non-native home, oftentimes they lose their culture. And yes. so it's really important that, um, you know, those aunts and uncles and, and the native community knows what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Step up and, um, you know, be a foster parent. Uh, you know, for your family, um, you know, for another tribal family, um, however it works, that's what we're asking for. And the tribe definitely is partnering with the state in trying to recruit, recruit foster homes. Wow. Foster care, foster love. The exhibit goes up on May 6th, 2022. We have plenty of times to, to submit these stories. We're asking the, the community for your stories, for your experiences. And you can send those to bouldersoup at gmail.com. Or if you're a tribal member and feel more comfortable with Patty, it's pgreen at kictribe.org. So. Now, is that green with an E? No, just like the color. G-R-E-E-N. P-Green at... K 
KICtribe.org. KICtribe.org. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, what this program was. Now, I want to talk, I feel like we've mentioned it, but I want to talk about one, one more time just to really nail it in. What is the overall vision of this project? The overall vision of this project is to use the power of art to help approach a tough subject, a difficult subject of foster care in a very safe way with dignity and respect given to those involved and to help caring community members who may not really understand the complexity and depth of foster care in a very respectful way to say, we acknowledge this is a problem. We acknowledge that our children are our future and we would like to come together as a community to find some change and solutions in positive ways. And it can be something small as somebody reaching out to a foster child. And there's a story I, I hear that, you know, a woman used to have someone over to make cookies. You know, she kind of became a grandmother to this foster child. So it can be as simple as that or buying school clothes or ta- opening your home to a foster care um, child. So we're very happy. I'm very excited to work with KIC. And um, as Patty mentioned, their needs, their, their placement numbers are very high right now. So they, that's a great need we have. And just to understand that need as a community so we can support them and support our, our non-native uh, foster care children. We also, Keith mentioned, the second part I wanted is because people walk away from the show. And I didn't want it to stop there. I wanted a conversation. So we're bringing the Alaska Humanities Forum for conversation. If any of you have... There's just an amazing organization that have a way of letting everybody's voice be heard with respect and dignity. And and they're just really ask the right questions that get you to think about it. And so that is the second part, which will be May 12th, mm-hmm. that we will be having a conversation about what it means and inviting the community. So we'll start with Keith's theatrical presentation and yet another voice to the issue you know, we'll have my show with my pieces and some of the quotes on the wall. People can kind of digest it and go to the opening and go throughout the week and then come to this community event where we will see key stories presented theatrically. And then Last Humanities Forum will bring conversation and Patty's a great resource. And, you know, there's just going to be a room full of people who, for people in the community who want to say, I really want to understand this more. You know, one time someone said, well, if you take in a foster kid, you know, they have a lot of problems. Well, it's not, I don't know, any, any very few people can go through some of the situations these children go through and not be affected negatively. Definitely. You know, so it's not, you know, like I said, I take my innocent, sweet foster sister and saw these girls from the juvenile delinquent center going, Wow. And it was so powerful story after story. One girl told me, she goes, people at my school complain that they don't have enough sh- new shoes. She goes, I wonder if I'm gonna, my home's going to be safe to enter and if I'm going to be fed that day. And I said to her, write that story, and she did. And she's volunteering at the shelter, so I think she's going to be one of them who does get out. Her IQ is very, clearly very high and very aware. And so I think of her often and hoping that she's made a life for herself that is um, worthy of her of who she is and her, her potential. I'm really excited for this show. I'm excited for the art installation. I'm, I'm excited for the theatrical presentation. This is going to be amazing. So May 6, 2022 is the theatrical mm-hmm. performance. The and, 12th. And the, the, 
so May 6th is the art Open, is the art opening installation at the Main Street Gallery at the Main Street Gallery and May 12th would be the, the the theatrical presentation now we have a bit of time so send those stories send those experience to bouldersoup at gmail.com or pgreen at kictribe.org um, did we leave anything out here one of the exciting pieces that I hope piece that I hope people come to see too is one on uh, the boarding schools that the mm. KIC commissioned me to do. So I'm very excited for that. It was a little overwhelming to think about how I could give honor and and respect, but when I showed it to um, the director of social, she just shuddered. So I think it's going to oh. be an incredible piece. So again, it's it's one you know not to it's not. A show of anger and hate and meanness so people don't have to stay away thinking, oh, it, it, it really, I think, touches on some of the emotions that these children make. One of them is called Forever Home because that's what the children want. They want a forever home. They want to move somewhere and say, this is my home forever. These people are going to always be with me. And so that is one of the pieces. So um, I'm very, very excited. And this is kind of evolution from my first show that now we've got, you know, Keith, I visioned that of the Hearing people's stories is what makes changes. Definitely. You know, statistics and all those numbers, they mean something, but it's when people hear another person's story. And when you hear some of what these foster kids' stories are like, it's just something as simple as, you know, getting them a nice suitcase instead of a black trash bag to move. Giving them dignity. Telling them they, they have a future. They have hope. They're worthy of our community's care. And I believe they are. And then they will grow up to be, hopefully, contributing adults that will then, you know, raise their own healthy families or reach out and help children. But I think Patty, if you come too, can share some amazing stories of changes that she's seen in kids' lives by people showing them the love and security and giving them hope and saying, we believe in you. We believe in who you are and who you can become. Is that correct, Patty? Yes, that is. And I like the, when you make the analogy about getting out of plastic, black plastic bags, the suitcases, and it just reminded me, the first suitcase I got, I was in foster care for 10 years as wow. I was growing up. And um, my pastor, uh, who is the last family I lived with, and his wife, Margaret, uh, Bill and Margaret White, um, of the Lighthouse Church of God, uh, provided me my first suitcase when I graduated from high school, and they sent me on to a Bible school. Um, you know, so I, I, it was funny because I've been married to my husband for 30 years, and we were going through some of our stuff and getting rid of things, and I found that orange suitcase. Wow. <laughs> um, but everything Carmel is saying is so true. Um, there are, kids go through a lot of trauma through this, and it's it's really um, difficult to watch, especially for myself, uh, also going through foster care. Um, and so for me to, you know, to be present and to be there to um, help our families is really important. And the healing process is so important. And I think that's kind of where some of this is coming to, is to be able to give people a voice to speak and to uh, open up and talk about what happened and, and begin to heal. Wow. Now, Carmel, where can we find where can we find your art? 
Well, definitely on uh, May 6th at the opening. Uh, May 6th, 2022 <laughs> at the opening. If you're curious about my work, uh, the best piece that's similar to this, the website is unheardwisdom.com. Unheardwisdom.com. Because that show is... Um, <laughs> Because the name isn't that bad. Um, I will think of it later. Sorry. It's, no. um, it, but it basically is to, to have solutions. We need to talk to the people. Beautiful. You can, you can view Carmel's work at unheardwisdom.com. I want to thank you all for coming in. Is there anything we left out here? Unheard wisdom, unheard. Unheard Voices, Unheard Wisdom was the show. I apologize. So, again, it's unheard voices of these foster care children, and the legality of it is they can't always talk. They're, they're, they're minors, you know, so we can't really – they can't always voice it. And what I find is a lot of them who – the most traumatic ones are the ones who don't want to tell their stories. There are some who share their stories, but there's a lot that's very deeply buried with a lot of shame. And so I'm hoping that – some of them who can speak will share those so that we can hear and we can come. Because I know Ketchikan is an incredible caring community. Oh, yes. And we love our people, but I think sometimes we just don't know. And so that's my hope for the show, is that people who care, who just are fortunate enough not to experience foster care, understand really the experience and how challenging it can be and how challenging it can be for our advocates, too. So... That is my hope, that we have some conversations and awakening for some people who can help make change, large or small. Carmel, I'm very grateful that you found me in the airport <laughs> on my way to Nashville last week. Uh, that's the story. So for those who don't know, I was in Nashville last week and I ran into Carmel at the airport and she said she'd been trying to get on the show for some time. So I was happy we were able to connect face to face. And for any of you looking to get onto the show, I'll have an email address to shout out to you uh, on Monday. So please uh, contact me with anything you have to talk about and uh, and we'll get you on, on the show. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about before we yeah. I want to thank you oh. Patty yes please well thank you for the opportunity um, I know when I worked with as an ICWA specialist for KIC uh, back in 2000, 2011 I was in the process of recruiting foster families at the same time and everyone is not always ready uh, at the moment that I had contacted them to ask if they were interested but they were willing to be put on a list so that I can call back later. So I just want to encourage anyone who is willing to do something like that also to send me an email at pgreen at kictribe.org. That'll be awesome. Thank you so much. And that's pgreen at kictribe.org. Carmel, Patty, Keith, thank you all for coming in. And thank you all for tuning in to the First City Forum, brought to you by Providence Properties in Southeast Alaska Orthopedics. I'm your host, the one and only Joe Williams, and you guys have a great weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs>